Hey, that's Andrew Harrison. He's one of our high school students. He's much cooler than I was in high school, by the way. So, way to go, Andrew. And that's Tommy. He's on guitar. He's one of our high school students. And uh, way to go. And everybody else is old. So anyway, um, hey, welcome back. If you weren't here last week, uh, last week was a party. And uh, we went into the weekend thinking we would have everybody. Uh, we thought we had 120 people signed up to be baptized. And uh, uh, we had more than that merged. Uh, we ended the whole weekend, I think, with somewhere between 460 and 500 baptisms last weekend, which is amazing. Uh, I mean, it got, I'm telling you, uh, uh, Merge, our college service on Sunday night was crazy. Um, it was a cross between a church service and uh, uh, Girls Gone Wild. It was just got crazy. Um, uh, but, it, but the people took their shirts off for guys. That was like the, the, the whole football team took their shirts off. It was, and all the girls were going, we're going to Merge from now on. And, uh, but uh, it, was, it was great. Hey, if you were, if you got baptized last weekend and we don't have your story, and this is voluntary, you don't have to do this, but if you would go on our website this week, uh, which is flatironschurch.com, and under contact us, there's a little drop down that says baptism story. We would just like to have your name and contact uh, information, not so we can, you know, sell your name to Christians RS or something like that, but just, just so we have a record of that and, uh, and we just know who you are. And if you want to give us your story um, and give us permission, we'll post all those stories online. So uh, last week was great, and so that was a God thing. But um, hey, we're starting off a new series uh, this week. Uh, Brian already told you about. Let me kind of set this up. Um, 20 years ago, I was a college student. I know you thought it was a couple of years ago, but it was 20 years ago. Uh, I was a college student in East Tennessee, uh, this little liberal arts college down there. And um, I, my, I, I went to college. Uh, I didn't go to be a pastor. Ooh, that's the last thing I really wanted to do. I wanted to be a dentist. Uh, I was pre-med my first three semesters um, for a couple of reasons. One is that my dentist was really, really cool. And I personally bought a wing of his house and paid for his Porsche with my braces t- twice. Anyway, um, and the other thing is I was just tired of being poor and I just want to be rich. And so dentists were rich and so I want to be a dentist. And if you're a poor dentist, I'm sorry. But anyway, I want to be a rich one. But anyway, uh, so I went off and um, yeah, the college I went to was a, had an association with, with, uh, with Christianity. It was a Christian college, but that's not why I went to this college. I went to this college because it was 500 miles from my house, from my parents, and the drinking age in Tennessee was 19, and that was a good combination. So I went uh, to Tennessee just to basically to, to kind of blow it out, and, uh, and that showed uh, by my third semester, I was on every probation they offered at my college, uh, disciplinary, academic, moral, uh, just creepy person probation. But anyway, uh, but during the, se- the, the second semester of uh, my sophomore year, I started dating this girl named Robin. She was on our swim team and she jumped in my lane and it's, it's a famous story. She wanted to play sea otter and I went, okay. And so anyway, it's, it, it's, it's another story. But anyway, uh, so anyway, um, in order to date her though, um, we, she was a church girl. So I had to start going back to church. When I was a kid, my church blew up. Uh, my dad was a pastor and my church, one half of my church decided they hated the other half of the church and they had this big civil war. Both sides beat the crap out of my dad. And so I had, I grew up going to church, but I got really disillusioned with church and with Christians and I didn't really want a lot to do with that. I had to go to church. But when, when Robin said, Hey, we have to go to church. If you want to be with me, it was kind of like that doesn't really do it for me. Um, uh, it's like, it's, it didn't answer any of the big questions of my life. And I just looked back at my life and made a bunch of mistakes and anything, but I wanted to be with Robin. So we started going to this Bible study over at East Tennessee state university. And, and, uh, and, and here's the thing is as, as I'm in this, in this Bible study, uh, with a whole bunch of Hicks from, from the South, I mean, they were Hicks and, uh, uh, but the teacher started teaching some stuff and my heart started feeling stuff, not all at once. I didn't go and go, I believe, you know, I mean, I was a believer in God all, all along, but I didn't, the church didn't really do anything for me, but he kept on talking about the power of God and, 
and the forgiveness of God and the mercy of God and how God can change you even if you can't change your pl- yourself. And I was just overwhelmed. The whole spectrum of emotions. And some of you have been in this, this place in your life. And part of it, I was really, really thankful that God was so forgiving and gracious and kind. And part of me is just mad. I just got really, really angry um, and frustrated because I just wondered, why hadn't someone told me this stuff a long time ago? You know, why, why hadn't somebody sat down and told me the hard truth of life? There's a better way to live your life, Jim, than trash, getting trashed every Friday and Saturday and Sunday, Monday, and every other week that has the word day in it. But anyway, you know, it's like, well, there's a better way to live your life than doing this with people and trying to get this off people and, and trying to get higher stoned or late or whatever. There's, there's more to life than that. And, and, and nobody, and, you know, maybe they tried. And I wasn't listening. But I just thought, you know, because i got to take responsibility for my own stuff. But I just felt God doing some stuff in, in my life. And have you ever felt, I've been to that point in your life, and maybe you're not even a church person, you're just, you're just here, but, uh, uh, because same thing, she won't date you unless you come to church with her. But uh, have you ever felt God tapping on your shoulder? And you can't really, I mean, not literally, but it's just this little voice in the back of your head, this nagging, annoying little voice going, I got something for you to do, I got something for you to do. And, and I, I felt God talking to me, not audibly, not something weird. And like, I, I just, this, 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 I don't know, presence in my life. And it's like a tap on my shoulder and I kept going, go away, go away, go away, leave me alone, leave me alone. And, and that voice got louder and louder because I, I had a feeling, and if you've ever heard God kind of talk to you, you know what he wants. And you know what he wants. And, and what he wanted for me just scared the, it really scared the, heck out of me, uh, literally, because I knew what he wanted me to do. I, he wanted me to go tell people what he had taught me. He wanted me to go tell some people the stuff that I, he was teaching me. And, and, and I didn't want to do that because that meant church. Because my dad was a pastor, my grandpa was a pastor. And if you're going to be a teacher, you have to be a pastor in a church. And, and he kept tapping and tapping. And I was like, leave me alone, leave me alone. And I remember where I was in a parking lot behind Robin's dorm. I was all about, in a parking lot behind Robin's dorm. I was sitting on a curb all by myself and I was crying. And finally, I think I said this out loud. All right. What? You ever prayed that prayer? Yeah. Amen. You know what? You know, dear Lord, what do you want? And, uh, and I said, all right, I'll do it. I'll do it on one condition. I don't know if you're allowed to give conditions to God, but I did it. And I said, okay, I got, I'll, I'll become a teacher or pastor on one condition. And here's the conditions. If you'll let me talk about real stuff in real ways to real people using real words. No, I don't want to teach religion that doesn't make a difference. I've been there, done that. Don't have a lot of use for that. If you'll let me talk about the stuff of life that nobody talked to me about. And use language that actually makes sense. And come up with real life answers and a better way to live. I'll do it. And it's like God said, that's what I wanted all along. That's, what I, that's all, I, all I've ever wanted. You know, people have kind of made it weird. But all I want you to do is just go and teach people what I've told you. So I said I'd do it. But, it, when, you know, 20 years ago, um, the adult world wasn't really open to honesty in church. I don't know if you went to that church. But they really didn't want to hear honest stuff about real life. They want to talk about religious stuff, right? And so we talked about religious stuff that really didn't make a difference in your life. But, so, I, so I gave my life to students for 20 years because they have more open hearts than most of us old people. And I spent 20 years teaching students until God brought us out here to Flatirons a couple years ago. And this is kind of like youth ministry for adults. <laughs> you know, so because you guys are really more open than any other group of people I've ever stood beside. Do you know what you call talking about real subjects in real ways? You know what that's called? Explicit. Explicit. I looked it up in the dictionary. Here's the definition of explicit. Fully and clearly expressed, leaving nothing merely implied, unequivocal, clearly developed or formulated, definite and unreserved in expression, unreserved in expression. So the, the dictionary told me I could do this, all right? Outspoken. And that's why I'm so excited about the next six, seven weeks in here as this series we're kicking off called Explicit Lyrics. A study of probably the most understudied book in the whole Bible, 
the Song of Solomon. If you didn't get, pick up a Bible, if you want a Bible, there are free Bibles outside the back door. If you want to get up right now and go get one, we're going to be studying over the next seven weeks every verse in this, in this book. It's right in the middle, your table of contents. You can find it. You've got plenty of time to get up and go. Somebody go first so everybody else doesn't feel weird. But go get a Bible. But it's also in your program and it's on the, the screen. But I mean, if you're going to want to read this, take this home and read it, especially when you find out what we're going to talk about in here. It's understudied. And by understudied, here's what I mean. For thousands of years, this book is 3,000 years old. But the Jewish religion, which is, this was written to the Jews uh, back then, uh, kids weren't allowed to read it until they were adults because it was too explicit. Kids shouldn't read stuff like this. And in the Christian church here in America, the Song of Solomon was either treated as a metaphor, like it, it was, really doesn't mean that, it means something else, like God's love for us. The, the, the groom in the story or the, the lover in the story is Jesus and the bride is the church and this is about how God loves us. And the, the, they looked at the Bible like that. It has to mean that because if you let it mean what it actually says, then it's about sex and passion and romance. And surely God would not stick something like that right in the middle of the Bible, right? That's kind of creepy, right? Wrong. See, the Bible's grouped into sections. I'll give you a little history of the Bible. And the Song of Solomon falls into a section of the Bible called the books of wisdom or poetry. Right in the middle of your Bible, you'll find a book called Psalms. Who's God and how do you worship Him? You'll find a book called Job. Where is God when life, you know, just is painful and full of sorrow? You'll find a book called Proverbs. How to make wise life and financial decisions. You'll find the book of Ecclesiastes. How not to waste your life running after meaninglessness. Those are life's big issues, Right? I mean, if you could get your arms around who is God and how do you connect with him and how do you deal with pain and how do you make good financial decisions and what's the meaning of life? If you could figure out all that stuff, wouldn't you agree your life would be better? Wouldn't your life would just be better if I could just get those things down in my life? But there's probably another area of my life um, that has more potential to impact my life and your life for better or worse than any other area of our life. And that would be romance and passion and sex and love. And I can prove that. How many people in this room have been, we're calling today burned. Now don't raise your hands. I'll have everybody raise your hands in just a second, all right? How many of us in this room have been burned by what we thought was love? And how many of us, again, we're going to raise our hands in a minute, have shed tears or felt pain or had anger or had your heart broken in the area of romance? And how many of us have personally been touched by, either in our own lives or somebody that we really care about, our lives have been impacted by divorce, yours or somebody else's? If any of those apply to you, will you raise your hand? Look around. Just leave them out there for a minute. Look around. We are not alone. See, that'd be all of us. I'm counting on this fact that I believe God is a good God. And what kind of God would he be to, to give us all this emotion and all these hormones and all these feelings and all these passions and all these parts, <laughs> whatever, and then kind of step away and go, good luck. I hope you figure it out. Yeah, watch out for that. You might want to be careful and avoid that or whatever, you know, and, and good luck and I hope you make it. But if you mess up, game over. Guilt. And by the way, I'll punish you if, if you if you mess up and from that point on you're damaged goods. What kind of God would that be? And the answer would be not a good one. That would be a mean, cruel God, and he's not mean and cruel. So right in the middle of the Bible, we find this entire book dedicated to love and romance and sex and passion and marriage. Although, now listen to this, all right? This book is meant to be taught to people who aren't married. So, you know, most of the time, I guess, and I got to apologize to, the, to people in this room that are not married. Most of the time, we ask the unmarried people to kind of do the math and try to make the application over to them. But for the next six or seven weeks, married people, you're going to have to carry the burden of that. I'm going to talk to people that are not in, uh, in a marriage yet or uh, anymore. I'm going to talk to people before you get married. But married people, you need to tune in. Because let's be honest, some of our marriages aren't going that great. 
And some of us are on the second or third or fourth relationship and we keep on making the same mistakes and repeating the same behaviors, expecting different results. That's called insanity, by the way. See, this book is not a metaphor for how God loves you. It's not about how Jesus loves the church. It's a story. It's actually a song about a man and a woman. And in this song, we're going to see them meet tonight. And we're going to see their desires and their passions grow. And we're going to see one of them try to score before they get married and get denied and rejected. And they have a big fight about it. We're going to, we're going to see them get married finally. We're going to watch them have sex in this book. We're going to, we're, he's, they're going to take us through it twice. Not just once, but twice. And it's not churchy, churchy like Amish people sex. It's like... Um, It's amazing. It's, 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 you'll sit there and fan yourself with your Bible. That's why you got to get a Bible. As a matter of fact, Solomon, when he's describing sex with his wife, has to use animals to describe what's going on in their bedroom. We're going to see a man and a woman want each other, desire each other, really want each other, and then finally get each other. And the Bible's going to use words like it's right, and it's good, and it's holy, and it works. There are two chapters in the book of Solomon totally dedicated to fighting married people. You're like, yay. All right, good, good. How to fight and how not to fight. And then the the whole book ends with two old people looking back over the years. This is not a marriage seminar. It's a love song written by God about the topic in my life, in your life, that's other than my relationship with God is probably the most important part of my life. Now, here's the thing. You were I know we have a spectrum of, of, of where we are on our journey with God in here. And you might listen to this over the next few weeks and think to yourself, this is the biggest bunch of old-fashioned, out-of-touch crap I've ever heard in my life. This is like the third time I've, I've taught through the book of Song of Solomon. And I've had people actually get mad and get up and walk out of the room. Lots of people who hear this, uh, this teaching, they just, they just can't, they don't even have a compartment for it. I had a guy come up to me one time. He came with me after, this, after I got done teaching what I'm going to teach tonight. And he was a big guy, big, bald guy, huge, looks like, you know, like wrestling guy. He came up to me and goes, you've ruined my life. And I thought he was going to punch me. I could take him, but I'm not telling you. I just, you know, I really thought he was going to just, you know, punch the, my lights out right there in the church lobby. He goes, you have ruined my life. And he turned around and he, and he walked out. The most common feedback I get when I teach this is, I wish I'd heard this a long time ago. And the, the question I get the most is, is, is it too late for me? And please hear this on the front end. And we're going to repeat this every week. It is never, ever, 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 ever too late. To turn back to God. To return to his plan for your life. It's never, ever too late. If you're in middle school or if you've been married for 50 years and, and things are not in what you believe God wants in your life, it's never too late to turn back to this. See, the guy that wanted to punch me in the face, I, I kind of forgot all about him, but I saw him coming across the lobby at me about four months later and I, I remembered him. And he came up to me and he goes, you remember me? Yes, sir, I do. Uh, he said, uh, I told you you ruined my life. For the last four months, my girlfriend and I, we tried that. And I just want to say, you didn't ruin my life. Um, God changed our life. And we just got back from our honeymoon, and I want to say thank you for that. I'm like, you're welcome. I knew, I knew it, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> see, here's the other thing about this. If you don't want to do this, if anything I say in the next, you know, or Scott and I say in the next six, seven weeks, if you don't want to do it, don't. Don't do it. If what you've got is working for you, keep, keep on doing it. If your goal is to have a relationship modeled on what you see around you, on TV or in Hollywood, go for it. Those work great. Hollywood romance, they, they have the best marriages, all right? 
See, here's the thing I hate about sex and romance on TV or in movies. It's not so much that it's obscene or arousing. It's that it's just not real like this. You know why? Because it can't be like that. All right, I, this is, I'm going to be really honest with you. I just kind of set the tone for this. Have you ever tried to make out on the beach? Don't answer that. I have. I mean, that was one of those, that was one of those kind of those fantasies you have like before you get married. On, on our honeymoon in Florida, I, I, I tried to make out with Robin on the beach. Okay? Two words you should never put together. Sex and sand. Sex is, they don't, they don't go together. I'm trying, I, I tried to make out a problem on the beach. I got so much sand on my butt, I made a pearl. I'm telling you. <laughs> it doesn't work. I'm just, and hey, add in salt water, seagulls, and sand flies, and romance ain't happening, folks. It's just, it's not, it's not real. And you know that's true. Some of you are going... Remember? Yes, I remember. Shut up. <laughs> my point is, listen, what's being sold is that... Wow, my parents are going to listen to this. Um, what's being sold to us and modeled to us, you know, it's, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. If it's working for you, run for it. But I'm telling you, maybe it's worth at least considering what God calls a better way. So, you know, this song, some of you were walking in going, I'm not in church. We're going to bring sexy back the way God meant it to be. Because God invented sex and it's his idea and we've messed it up. But if you have your Bible with you, find, you check, uh, it's on page 470 in the Flatirons Bible. And it's going to start out with this Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon. Or verse 1 goes like this, Solomon's Song of Songs. Which literally translates out Solomon's greatest song he's ever written. Or his greatest hits. You can actually kind of say it like that. Let me tell you who Solomon is. Solomon is the son of David and Bathsheba. Remember them? Their marriage started kind of rough. It started with an affair, right? Then she got pregnant. And then they had the, her husband killed off. Remember that whole Easter story that we talked about? And by the way, the baby that, that David and Bathsheba conceived died shortly after he was born. But a few years later, they had another son. His name was Solomon. And David's now dead and Solomon's a king. And it starts out like this. If you look at it, there's this word beloved. This is kind of, again, this is a poem or, or a song. And beloved um, is, is who's speaking first. This is a song, uh, is a man and a woman looking back. So it's like they're old and they're looking back over their, their years together uh, when they first met. And beloved, anytime you see beloved, the words below beloved are the woman. The woman is speaking. Later, the guy is called lover. Yeah. All right. So beloved and lover, and they're talking back and forth. And so beloved, the woman, she starts and she says this. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is more delightful than wine. You might want to take your kids to the nursery now. Okay, so um, let, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is more delightful than wine. This woman is looking back years later and she's remembering her lover. She says, when I'm with you, it's, it's, I, I get drunk on you. I, I, I'm intoxicated with you. Kiss me. Not once, a lot. In the Hebrew, this literally translates, I really like you a lot. All right? Um, so kiss me a lot. Now, she's looking back. Look at this next verse, verse 3. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Some of you guys are going, I'm done. All right? He's wearing perfume. What is that? All right? Let me, let me explain this. If you were to go to the Middle East, if you were in Afghanistan right now, the Middle East, men, uh, 
don't take showers or baths as often as we do here in the West. I mean, we're obsessed with showers and stuff. We're really the only place in the world that takes baths as often as we do. But in the Middle East, um, they take a bath every once in a while. Uh, there's just not a lot of water. But what they do is, is that they coat themselves in lotion and oil because it's really, it's really hot over there and it's really dry over there. And so they would scent themselves with colognes and perfume so they smelled good. And this woman was looking at him going, um, uh, you're a good-looking, good-smelling man. Let me kiss me. You're a good-looking, good-smelling man. Now, time out here. Here's a little hint. Junior high boys, let me talk to you for a second. Okay, this is a very practical book. Write this down. Start wearing deodorant, okay? You know, it's time. And maybe brush your teeth more than Saturday. Just go for that. And for the records, girls don't think it's cute when you fart. So stop, all right? And if you're 30, your wife doesn't think it's cute when you fart. So just stop, all right? Or 80. All right. Well, 80, you can't help it. But anyway. Um. So let's get back to this, all right? If you're, if you're uptight, you know, loosen up, all right? Just, here we go. The girl starts out with this. I like you. You're handsome. You don't stink. You're highly kissable. And she goes, but there's something better, more important. Your name is like perfume poured out. Or if you have a different version of the Bible, it may say purified oil. She says, I find you physically attractive, but there's something more attractive to me than just your looks and your smell. And that would be your name. Let me explain this, all right? This is probably the most important part tonight. Is your, when she says your name, what she means is your character, your morality, your integrity, your, your virtue, what you're known for. It's not, Jim is not my name. What I'm known for is kind of my name. And the English word that we use, character, comes from a Greek word, karasso. If you were here back a couple months ago in our Flatirons, Inc., we talked about etching something into your soul. Carasso refers to, to a metal tool used to, to carve into stone something that will never be removed. Something that's carved so deeply into a person's soul that it's going to last forever. It can't be changed very easily or, or ever removed. Character is who you are. It's who you are. And you can be a person of high character or low character. And your character can be described as with words like this. Honest. Are you an honest person? Or kind? Are you good under pressure? Are you gentle? Are you patient? Are you faithful? Are you wise? Are you trustworthy? That's who I am. Those are the words that I hope that describe me. Or there are words that describe character like this. Dishonest. Selfish. Pouty. Arrogant. Mean. Impatient. Bitter. Angry. And by the way, the way character is revealed is by stress and conflict and hardship, not the easy times. Who are you when the pressure's on? It's your character. And the girl says, you know, I've been watching you. And physically, you got your act together. That's great. But more so, your character, your name, it's like perfume or oil that's been poured out. And, and, and again, he understood what she was saying because back, back in this day, they would harvest the olives back, you know, have you ever heard of, uh, like the, the, the Garden of Gethsemane was, uh, was on the Mount of Olives. That's where Jesus went to pray. That's, that's where they got all their oil. It hadn't been mined yet or out of, out of, pumped out of the ground. They would take oil, they take olives and they would press all the oil out of them. And the, the best, the first pressings of the oil, that was taken to the temple and it was used in the worship services there. The first oil was poured out for God. So what she's saying is, I've been watching you. I've been watching you. And your character is the way it is because... I'm noticing you live your life like God's a priority in your life. You are the way you are, not because you want to get me or not because you want to get a date, not because you want the approval of other people. You are the way you are because it seems to me, and I've just been watching for a while, your first priority is being the person, having the character, having the name that honors God. I've been watching you. 
And I like what's carved into you. I like what's carassoed there. I like who you are. This past week, I was, uh, I was giving some CDs and some DVDs to watch and listen to about some stuff that I'm going to be doing in the future. And uh, several times, my computer locked up and a little thing came up on my screen that said, um, uh, skipping over damaged areas. So I kind of pulled out my, this, this CD and I started looking at it. And it, uh, I looked at it. It's like, I can't, it looks normal to me. What, what's wrong with it? And I shined it up and stuff like that. And I couldn't make any sense out. So I went down to our music guys and they kind of explained to me how a CD is made. If you don't know, let me tell you how a CD is, is made. We call it, they burn a CD. A laser burns a code onto the surface. Somehow it writes a code, like a, a series of little O's and ones and stuff like that. And each O and each one and each code is kind of assigned a sound. And later, whatever's burnt on there, a CD player kind of reads that and reproduces or replicates what's been burned there. And the only way to really know what's on this CD is to play it, is to listen to the song. Because this CD only has one, is only able to do one thing play the song written on it. It's all it can do, what's written on it. And Solomon's wife is kind of remembering back to when she first noticed him. And she said, physically, you caught my eye. I'll just be honest with you. You look good. But what made, what made me give you more than just the, the time of day? What took me beyond? Yeah, you're kind of cute. You don't stink. <laughs> I started listening to your song. I watched as your life revealed what's burned into you. Let me take some time out. Let me talk to ladies. You have this guy in your sights, okay? He's cute, you know, whatever, right? Um, and, and husbands and guys, listen to this, all right? Ladies, what song is his life playing? What song is his life playing? See, he may be handsome and have six-pack abs and cute and have a perfect bald head, you know, because that's all, awesome and... <laughs> shut up. Anyway, uh, <laughs> thank you. Uh, he may be rich, he may drive the best car, have a million bucks a year, but... If he won't listen to you, if he doesn't have time for you, if he's a pouty baby every time he doesn't get his way, if he won't compliment you or prioritize or support some of your goals in your life, if he doesn't love you as much as he, at least as much as he loves himself, run. Run. Because if you keep on walking and keep on playing this song in your life, you are about to jump into hell on earth. And here's why. And every married person in the room knows this is true. See, I remember, I remember those nights, those, those, those days leading up to my wedding. And I, and husbands, you know, remember this. I remember sitting there, I was 22 years old, laying there in bed thinking, I wonder how many years it'll be before we don't have sex every night. I remember laying there going, I bet I'll be like 80 before we don't. You know, it's like, it's going to be like, oh, it's going to be, you know, music and it's going it's to be awesome. And, and here's the truth is, you get married thinking it's all about sex. You really do. I mean, at least I'm speaking for the men in the room. I think, yeah, this is going to be great. But after you're married to a person, you don't, you don't make love to their body. You make love to their memory. The memory of how they treated you all day. The memory of how they treated you all week. And I'll tell you, sin looks really ugly in the dark. It's true. You know what's... Uh, Worse than being single and lonely, but with hope that one day God will bring the right person to your life. You know what's worse than that? Being in a bad marriage with no hope. Being single and wanting to be married is better than being married and wanting to be single. And singleness is tough because it's so lonely. And I, I've talked to a lot of my single friends, so I don't hear any condescension in that. Singleness is tough and it can be really lonely, but a bad marriage does not solve loneliness. It magnifies it, right? Right? 
And I said this to women, but it goes both ways. The person that you're attracted to, what character, what song is their life playing? And here's, here's why this is so important before you get married. A lot of this content we're getting from a guy named Tommy Nelson. He's the only other guy I've ever heard teach on this book of the Bible. He says, he says this, when you get married, and this is why you've got to get this worked out before you get married. When you get married, you're gambling a huge chunk of your emotional peace on whether you are wise enough to choose a person of character. Because marriage is like placing a 357 magnum to your temple, placing his or her finger on the trigger, and believing that he or she won't pull it because of the kind of person they are, their character. That's how you choose who you date or marry. And this woman thinks she's found it. Let's, let's read on. No wonder the maidens love you. Who wouldn't? Take me away with you. Hurry up. Let, us, let the king bring me into his chambers. In other words, any girl in the world would want someone like you. Any girl in the world would fight over you, but you're mine. You're mine. I won, all right? And this isn't some possessive, jealous, insecure, controlling thing. She's just saying with confidence, we're together. You're mine and I'm yours. So the first question I want to throw out tonight would be this. What character is etched or burned into the soul of the person? What, what are they like? What kind of person are they? What's their life revealing now? Now. What's their song? And this is the part that's going to make a lot of people mad and not come back. This is the part that almost got me punched. All right? Here's why this is so important. Because a ring doesn't change someone's character. A ring doesn't change anything except a last name. I'm telling you, a ring doesn't change character. And ladies, listen, if a man is pressing you morally or sexually beyond what you know is right in your heart, it's because that's the kind of man he is. If the man is pressuring you or forcing you or requiring of you something more than what you want to give, the reason he's doing that is because that's the kind of man he is. And if this man doesn't respect the standards or, or uh, the... the, the, the the guidance of God when he's dating you, what makes you think he'll obey God after he's married to you? you know, if, if he's a flirt now, he'll be a flirt later. If, if he's a jerk now, he'll be a jerk now. If he cheats on you now, it's who he is. It's what's been burned into him. Right? I mean, guys, listen. If she won't be truthful now or reasonable now or faithful now or trustworthy now, if she's a witch now, if she's controlling, if she's demanding now as a single, she will break your heart as a married. It's, it's who she is. And I know you're sitting there going, yeah, but if I date him long enough or if I marry him, I think I can change them or fix them. And we say this all the time. You can't fix anybody. You can't change anybody. Only God can do that. And second of all, you don't go to the music store and buy a CD hoping you can change the song. You look for a different CD, a song you want to live with. Can people change? Sure. But you can't change them. You can't. Only God can change a person's character. And they need to change before the wedding, not after. And the friends are kind of listening to this song. I guess there's some you know, little choir over the side listening in on this and the friends kind of chime in here the next thing we rejoice and delight in you we will praise your love more than wine her friends are going we agree this is good this is really really awesome we think you should be with him and we think you should be with her we 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 think this is a really good thing by the way this is where we get the idea of having people stand up with us in a wedding 
They're not just decorations with matching dresses and flowers. They're there. It comes out of this of people witnessing or staying testimony going, we agree with this. They're making vows and promises. We will stand around those promises and those vows and we will support that. We will guard this couple because we have a relationship with them. We'll stand by them as they make vows to each other. Have you ever been to a wedding? Let's just be honest. Have you ever been to a wedding and you sat there going, this is going to last about 15 minutes. The marriage, not the ceremony. It's like you, you look over your person that you split the gift with and do you save the receipt? Because I'm certain that toaster is going back, you know? Because you just look at it and you're going, there's no way. There, this can't work. These people should not, they are, you know, that it's, it's, he's nitro and he's glycerin. I'm telling you, this is just, this is, it's just, they're just not, this is not good. This, these people are looking and going, this is good. This is awesome. We've been watching you too and we, we think you guys are great together. We, we, we support this. Your reputation is great. Your character is great. Do this. Yes, Absolutely. Let's get back to this song. The, the woman starts talking again. Beloved, how right they are to adore you. And then she kind of turns the page and says, I've been talking about you. I've got to talk about myself a little bit. Look at this next verse, verse 5. Dark am I, yet lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem. It's like looking over the choir. I'm, I'm dark, but I'm, 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 all, I'm all right, O daughters of Jerusalem. Dark like the kints of Kedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Again, if you were to go to the Middle East or the Far East, China, Japan, whatever, one of the things that Eastern women value more than anything else is their skin is their skin. That's where they, they wear veils a lot to guard their skin from the, from the hot sun over there. That's why they put oils and ointments and, and they protect their skin and, and, uh, and they stay inside a lot during the day because they don't want to go out and get, get burnt. And this woman lives in a culture that values high, puts high beauty equals fair skin. And she says, my skin is like the tents of Kedar. The, the, the Kedar tribe was a, was a shepherding tribe that made their tents out of black wool from their, from their sheep. My skin's like black wool. Or the curtains of Solomon, like the curtains hanging over there in the palace, dark purple, almost black. This woman goes, you know what? She sees herself as lovely. Even though she has what some people would say a physical drawback, she hasn't taken care of her most precious asset, her skin. And she goes on and says, now let me tell you why. She goes this, don't stare at me because I'm dark, because I'm darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards. My vineyard, though, I neglected. Again, back in this culture, a, a woman was under the authority of her father until she was married. And then she came under the authority of her husband. If the father, for some reason, uh, wasn't there, her older brothers kind of took the place of her father. And for some reason, these older brothers made this girl work on the family farm. They said, listen, you, you go out there and work in the vineyard. In the, in the process, she ignored, in taking care of the vineyard, she ignored her own vineyard or her own body. And this is what this means culturally here. And we'll, Make the application over here. This woman lived under the authority in her life. She lived under the authority that had been placed over her as God had put over her. She honored her parents when she had parents. She honored and submitted to those who were over her. She was willing to respect authority. So guys, let me talk to you. You have this girl. This is be really honest, okay? Is this some little princess that sat on a pillow all her life and been spoiled? And catered to all of her life. And is this girl willing to get her hands dirty? Or is she self-centered and vain? I want it and I want it now. A little brat who wants everybody to help her, but rarely has time for anybody else. Second is, um, I know it's kind of exciting to run with an independent, strong, free-spirited girl. And there's nothing wrong with that. But is there a streak of rebelliousness in her that says, don't tell, don't, anybody's, no one's going to tell me what to do. I don't care what my parents said. I don't care what the rule says. I don't care what I promised. I don't care what I said I do. I don't want to do it anymore. This isn't fun anymore and I'm bailing out. I want to do what I want to do. 
Again, guys, be careful. And this goes both ways. I know that. But a ring's not going to change that. And even the best relationship or marriage is going to go through a rough time. And if he or she won't listen to you now, a ring won't make a difference later. If he or she won't keep their word now, what makes you think they will later? Is, it, is, it, is her appearance important or his appearance important? Yeah, sure, up to a point. But it's downplayed compared to her character. And this woman knows who she is. She's a confident woman. I know who I am. But I'm not apologizing for my standards or my skin. Then she asks her lover a question. Look at this next verse and we're almost done. Tell me, you whom I love, where you graze your flocks and where you rest your sheep at midday. Why should I be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends? Again, you have to go back to this culture. A veiled woman was code word for prostitute. Tell me where you uh, graze your sheep because I'm not going to act like a prostitute. See, back in these days, the prostitutes would follow the shepherds around and whenever they camped out for the night, they would kind of make their way into camp and hope some man would have them. That's where we, by the way, do you know that's where the word hooker comes from? In the, words, in the Civil War, the prostitutes used to follow around the troops of General Hooker of the Northern Army. And whenever they would kind of camp out for the night, the, the girls would come into town and try to get a man to hook up with. It comes from that right there. Go back to the story. This woman says, I, listen, I know you're a shepherd king, but I'm not going to do what a veiled woman does to get you. In other words, my body's not for sale. And I'm not going to use it to buy you or to get your attraction. So let me kind of wrap this up, all right? Going a little bit long, but let me ask you some questions. When do you know if you're ready to be married or to date somebody? And here's a couple things. You want to write these down. When you have a silhouette, you don't have a face. You don't have a name, but you have a silhouette of the kind of person that you want. And you won't settle for anybody less than that. You kind of have an outline of the person you want, and you're just waiting for God to kind of fill in the blank there. Second is when you don't have to compromise any aspect of your character or your relationship with God to get her. Or have him stay with you. The third one would be when you're willing to be single rather than make a bad choice of a marriage partner. Then maybe you're ready. In other words, no desperation compromises, no lowered expectations. Um, There will always be mistakes and challenges and areas that we all have to grow and improve in. But let's just be honest. How many of our stories can be traced back to our uh uh-oh moments in love and romance and even our marriages can can be traced back to I just settled, I compromised I knew it wasn't right. In my heart, I should have turned around and ran back up that aisle. But I thought it was my last chance. Got some homework assignment for you this week. Both married and single, okay? Because uh, too many of us have never stopped and asked some really important questions. What are we looking for in, in a person? What kind of person are we hoping for? And what kind of person do I need to be to be ready to be that for another person. See, I, I think that most of us agree that one of the best characteristics we'd ever want in another person is that they reflected the character of God. And I'm not saying there's some Bible-thumping, religious, you know, zealot, you know, quoting Bible verses, you know, and that's not what I mean at all. But when you look at a person, I, of all the other things, I mean, they may have everything else, but this has got to be at the top of the list. When I look at you, I don't know what God's like, but I think I see Him in you. The kindness of God, the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the gentleness of God, the strength of God. As a matter of fact, I'd go one step further. I think the best way to find somebody to date or marry later is to run towards God as fast as you can. Be the person that you're convinced God wants you to be. Start doing the things that you, want, you know God wants you to do. Run towards God and look on your left and right and see who's running beside you. And after a while, say, come over and run beside me since we're going the same place anyway. Why don't we run together? 
So here's your homework assignment. This is, this is your homework assignment. Come back with these answers next week, all right? You might do this. You may talk to the person you're dating or, or a group of friends or whatever, uh, but write these down. And here it is. Describe or list the character of the person you're searching for. And that may be the person you're married to. Describe what you wish your husband was like. Not what he would do. What he was like or your wife was like. It's up to you if you guys want to discuss this or not. Um, uh, and what are you willing to do or not do as you search for that person? And here's probably the most important thing this week, because we're going to come back and talk about this next week. What in your own character, married or single, what in your own character needs to grow or change to be ready to be this person? Again, I said this at the beginning. It's, it's never too late to start again. I, I got asked this question a few weeks ago. Um, why do you guys talk about forgiveness so much? I was actually asked that. Why do you guys talk about forgiveness so much and not so much about the consequences of sin? A guy asked me right there in the lobby. Why do you talk about forgiveness and not consequences so much? And here's my answer. Because most of us are living with the consequences. Aren't we? I don't really need a sermon on consequences. I'm living with them. What I'm looking for is a better way to live my life. I hope you'll keep on coming back because that's all we're searching for. Married or single, we're looking for a better way to be with God and to be with one another, especially this person that one day will share our bed and our name. I'm going to pray. These guys are going to sing an awesome song. Just let it be your time of prayer, maybe, if you want to sing along, if you want to stand up, kneel down, head for the parking lot, whatever that is. Um, This is a love song uh, to God and to one another. So let us pray. God, come to you tonight confessing that I have fallen way short as a man, as a husband, as a father, as a child of God. But like we've been talking about over the last few weeks, it's not about my past. It's about from this point on. From this point on. It's all you care about. The past is gone. I'm not holding it anymore. So God, from this point on, I want to run towards you. I want to sing a love song about how good you are. As I sing that song, I hope Robin sees it playing in my life. My kids see it playing in my life. For the person in here that's not married, married yet, whatever that is, not married anymore. God, I pray that they, their life is a love song to you. Because you see it and you sing, you sing along. And, uh, and the person that can see that in us, that's the person we want to run with. So uh, God, continue to teach us, even if it's hard teaching over these next few weeks. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.